another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. It's great to have you back. I'll just say up front to our listeners, Kat is a little bit echoey because she's broadcasting from another dimension. So, I am. Uh, let's all be very patient with her today. What is a good RPG dimension that I could be broadcasting from? <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. The world there's, of there's, darkness? The, ru- the world, world of, of ruin? The world of ruin. I think that's a good there one. There you go. Because this is very much a world of ruin because this is my old place. Um, I have fully moved into my new house, but we're not quite done moving everything out of here. So, yeah. So I'm recording from here while I get my new space all set up. But who else is with me today? I mean, look, I'm here in like a physical sense. Yes, Eric is alive. As for whether this booster has completely destroyed Eric's mind and spirit. Is oh another. my God, you got the booster. I got boosted and flu shotted at the same time. I said, if we're doing one, let's do both. And uh, I have spent all day in bed watching My Hero Academia. Ooh. <laughs> when I got my second shot, I knew that we were going to be sick. So I said to my husband, you know what? Let's just order like a shit ton of Taco Bell and a lot of Gatorade and just prepare to hunker down for about 24 hours. And we did. I got really sick. He was fine. I've got my booster yet. I'm not eligible, but as soon as I am, I will. And I'll get more Taco Bell. You know what makes you feel healthier and better? Taco yeah, Bell. That's absolutely. what I found. What are you doing, Nadia? <laughs> that's it's not the really... breakfast of champions. That's the we, breakfast we just... of we gave up. <laughs> <laughs> Taco Bell find, kind of feels almost like a delicacy here because I cannot find Taco Bell in Toronto very easily. Like we have a couple, but they're really dodgy. So when you can get a, a big score of Taco Bell, it's pretty cool. I, un- I understand. <laughs> I, I understand to some extent. Like there is something about the Taco Bell, quote unquote, meat that nothing else like <laughs> satiates. I I get you there. It but, is good for the alien hangovers that come with the shots. But, Nadia yeah. with her wheelbarrow full of burritos, going. Just <laughs> I'm all set the, for my booster shot for the Doctor Who marathon. <laughs> all this garbage will surely make me feel better. <laughs> it did. Look, Gatorade's I'm not going to judge because. When I was living in Japan, all I ever wanted was Taco Bell. That is all I wanted in my life. And still, even today, when I live in California, home of good Mexican food in America, sorry, Eric, mm, I, mean, I it's okay. always get Taco Bell when I am on a road trip. It is the law. It's disgusting. I feel terrible when I'm done, but I always do it. Japan so. has Taco Bell? It does now, but it's horrible. When I was living there at the time, they did not. And it was for the best. (laughs) It was for the best. (laughs) Treat yourselves better. That's all I got (laughs) to (laughs) say. Well, folks, this is it. This is the 2021 RPG recap. Yep. It's time once again to look back on the year in RPGs, all of the events, the biggest news kind of take stock of how the year went if you're an RPG fan, which we all are. And we're also going to pick our very favorite RPGs and maybe even pick the best RPG of the year for Acts of the Blood God. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review the show on the pocket of your choice. I have learned, thanks to exclusively Lex, who is one of our Discord uh, mods, that apparently you can rate Acts of the Blood God over on Spotify now. Ooh, All you got to do is open it up in your app, 
and pick the show and you can pick uh, five stars, of course. Oh, oh, mate, come on. From the drop down. So that yeah. sounds perfect. It definitely helps the visibility of this show and, you know, brightens our day. We really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And Eric is at C Moosey, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where if you enjoy the show, toss us five bucks. It's the cost of a coffee. And you will get so much amazing content, including our Pantheon of the Blood God episodes, all of our specials, all of that great stuff. And we've got some changes coming up to the pa- Patreon next year, which we'll be discussing in a future episode. Speaking of the Patreon, Nadia has recently recorded Charlene Dropouts, which includes our, I believe, spoiler-free review of Final oh, Fantasy XIV no, no, and no, Walker. Is, oh, no, it it's, not spoilery. it's spoilery. <laughs> so spoilery. It is so spoilery. Um, <laughs> up until the final dungeon, or final area, because Victor hadn't unlocked that yet, so we kind of went through all the other areas bit by bit and talked about what we liked, what was cool, what was weird. Um, all of our predictions were shattered, so that gives you an idea of where we went. It Whoa. Was a... So many sh- predictions shattered. Oh, yeah, like Victor had it all worked out, and I, as soon as I saw a certain scene that I describe in the episode, I said, none of our predictions mean anything anymore. It's just wild from here on out. And it was. <laughs> completely unpredictable. I really had a great time with it. Amazing. Yeah, you should go listen to it. If you're a Final Fantasy XIV fan, hey, maybe listen to the episode while you're waiting in a queue. I think you can probably get through it in the time it takes to actually be able to log into Final Fantasy XIV. You're not wrong. Also, listen to our big end-of-year extravaganza that's coming out on Wednesday with special guests Reb Valentine and Ash Parrish. We're going to be recapping the entire year of video games. We'll be talking about the PS5 and the Xbox Series X and Lots of indie games and all of the big news and all of that stuff that's kind of beyond the scope of RPGs. So if you want to hear all of that, that's our special episode available to our $5 and above patrons. Finally, we're going to be off on December 27th, but fear not, as a special gift to listeners, we are releasing the Final Fantasy VIII Pantheon episode onto the free feed. So you can listen to that over the holidays if you haven't had a chance to listen and get ready for the brand new year. And I don't know, maybe use that as a jumping off point to play Final Fantasy 14 or something, I guess. <laughs> May as well. I uh, Sorry, Nadia. I, I feel all kinds of enthusiasm for Final Fantasy 14, as you can probably tell. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're really revving on all fronts here. Okay, let's hit the first topic. The analog pocket is officially out. I have one. Eric and Nadia, were you able to get an analog pocket? Heck no, but I hear it's fantastic. Yeah, I decided to skip because I'm spending a lot of money on a lot of other stuff right now. That's so nice too. I had the moment where, because of the way we talked about this in the last episode, the way they're putting it out in groups, it was either I get one this year or I wait until at least 2023. And when I sat down and thought about it, I've still got my Game Boy SP. It still mm. works. It's got an EverDrive in it. I'm going to be happy. So... The pocket does look really neat, and I think one day I see myself upgrading to it, if only because the dock and stuff seems like really nice alongside the display. But it's it's uh with the price increase and all that, it's uh it's a lot. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My pal Seth Macy, host of Nintendo Voice Chat, is sending me his dock 
mm. now that he is done reviewing the analog pocket, which is incredibly nice of him. So. That is very nice. Shout out uh, Very supportive. I think it's the best possible way to review GBA games or play GBA games on that thing because I'm going to let you in on a secret. They had to make a choice between going with more of the Game Boy look or supporting more of the GBA look. And because they decided to choose the Game Boy, prioritize the Game Boy, the GBA is letterboxed. And Ah. it's not so bad if you're playing, say, Pokemon Emerald. And admittedly, that screen, let me tell you, it looks unbelievable. It's just gorgeous. Gorgeous. It is a little distracting, especially when you're playing games like Metroid Zero Mission, at least in my opinion. I kind of got over it after a bit, but my I was thinking, yeah, I really got to play GBA games on my TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there are, of course, plenty of great RPGs that you can play on the analog pocket, including a Dragon Warrior 3, Final Fantasy Legend, and Pokemon, and lots and lots of amazing GBA RPGs as well. You can go listen to our, what was it? Our console RPG quests yeah. for the Game Boy and the GBA. But in the meantime, the Analog Pocket is currently backordered until 2023. So it'll like be a everything before else. you can actually get one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just, we live in the age of backups and it's not getting like, it's something I, I talked about very briefly on um, my Twitter because everything's backed up because of the chip shortages, because of COVID, because, because, because. And I I mean, one of the reasons we had these insane queues in Final Fantasy is because they tried to get another server in and uh, it didn't arrive in time because the components weren't there. So I said, to, you know what? We're in an age with, with everything going on with the COVID and even climate uh, problems popping up with like a real vengeance lately. We're going to have to get used to waiting in long, long queues for this kind of thing. So congratulations on scoring it now. <laughs> You're going to have to wait a long time for another chance. Shoutouts to that video of that dude who had like a crypto farm that was going around Twitter. Oh today. My God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. Thanks, dude. I'm just Thanks. saying you can build all that. And I bring in one magnet and that whole thing. Goes <laughs> <by>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what there, a are, there are a lot of animated gifts of people running past it with magnets and it looked great. <laughs> Could you what what like what power of a magnet would you need to kind of screw that all up? It would just oh, be like a big one. <laughs> Well, I mean, not like a big one, big one, because you can mess your computer up with not like a fridge magnet, but like yeah. any decently powered electromagnet. Mm. Yeah, something you get from like a science supply store for like 10 bucks. So what you do probably. is you go to aisle seven on Home Depot. <laughs> 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 These are not instructions for destroying crypto farms, I promise. <laughs> Y'all ever seen Breaking Bad? No, oh, I yeah, never watched yeah. it. Yeah, there's a there's a bit with an electromagnet mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. So maybe something uh, like that. I learned yeah, a lot yeah. about science from that show. <laughs> science, <call> bitch. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, science. <laughs> yeah. Uh the analog pocket. I can say that I would recommend it if you can actually get a hold of one. Um there are a lot of discussions about whether you should, for example, just mod a GPA using existing mod kits or mod a Game Boy. I think the thing that really makes the analog pocket stand out, aside from the fidelity of its emulation, is that it has so much versatility. Pretty soon it's going to be getting a lot of um, operating system updates, Mm, that kind of thing. It's going to, 
I mean, they described it as like the library of Alexandria for <laughs> video games. It's pretty cool. For video actually. Games. That's awesome. Someone's going to jailbreak the bejesus out of that thing. Oh, absolutely. Probably already I, happened. I'm sure it's already there. Because you know? that's that's what I want to do with my Steam Deck whenever that actually happens. When that happens, oh, one hundred percent, yeah. That, that's an emulator machine. <laughs> you know, Wildermeth will be installed somewhere on there. But other than that, <laughs> the Steam Deck was made to be jailbroken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the other thing is just the fact that you have a dock and you can plug it right into the oh, TV. Yeah. That is really nice that's too. Really and awesome. apparently, it has mm-hmm. a Bluetooth uh, chip, so you can just. Connect oh. your Nintendo Switch oh. Pro controller to it. No problem at all. There you go. That really does sound like ideal for the handheld experience. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, there's just so many wonderful Game Boy games out there to be explored. I'm kind of sad that I can't find my copy of Metroid 2 and uh. Link's Awakening DX. I guess they're long gone at this point. Curses. 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 Cat. So I'm going to have to uh, pick them up so that I can play them on the analog pocket at some point. With all of the extra time that I have. But I'm also really excited because I have a reproduction cart of Mm -hmm. Mother 3. And a fan translated cart of Fire Emblem 6, which never came out in America. That was the one that had Roy Mm -hmm. in it. Oh, Oh, Eric's smiling. I can see Eric grinning right down there. (laughs) Running his chin. I mean, yes. look, that's that's what you get that analog pocket for is you get it to play that that Mother 3 and that Fire Emblem 6 on there. But it's I wonder if what what the market's going to look like for those Game Boy cards as they go up. Because the nice thing is it's not like the GameCube, like repros exist for Game Boy cards. So hopefully prices aren't too bad. But still, if you want to get like an actual Game Boy card, Game Boy cart of one of these things, like I, I imagine it's not that easy. It's going to get more difficult too. I kind of want to restart my game of Pokemon Emerald in there some you ways. But you should. Also, but also my save from 2005 is still on there and <laughs> uh, all of my old Pokemon are still mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. as well. And I'm just like, I, I can't do it. I can't delete them. I couldn't do that. No. The I moved Kylo like all the ones the that are my favorites over, but looking at boxes and boxes full of Pokemon, my brain started going, well, what if I just started moving them over to diamond and pearl somehow? No cat. Don't, don't, <laughs> Don't Bad do cat. this to yourself because I would have to get them over to Diamond and Pearl and yeah. then over to Black and White. And then I would have to be able to then get them into the Pokemon transporter thing. And then I could get them into Pokemon Home. So God, it's like, it's, it's like a steps. whole, it's an immigration process. You get into a new country easier than transferring your Pokemon. Yeah. At this point, getting a Pokemon from uh, the GBA games, it's theoretically possible but it's so Byzantine and hard and you have to have completed games of Pokemon Platinum and Black right. and White to be able exactly. to do it. Which I don't have any of that. I have my yeah. red and blue and, and I don't know where everything else is. That's what makes it worth it to get these remakes of these games onto systems like Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl so that you don't have to deal with this anymore. Yeah, really. And not only that, back in the day... You could only move six Pokemon every 24 hours. You could not just oh, dump right. all of your boxes over. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I'm difficult sorry, Pokemon what? makes everything for everyone. Yeah. You could move six every 24 hours, and then you had to go into the Pal Park, and you had to catch them individually, and then you had them. But it was such a pain to actually be able to do it as to make you not want to. Yeah. 
you know what people love? Barriers. They just love <laughs> steps and things. I was gaming in 2006, baby. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> but as the analog pocket, if you can get one, congratulations. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Send me an email at cat at It is such a ridiculous device, a ridiculous luxury item, but what video game is it? And I mm. love that we get these kind of high-end premium handheld devices. Now, yeah. Which just makes my heart sing, truly. I wish I could show this thing to me circa 2003. I think my eyes would fall all over my head. <laughs> Roll down the street while Billy Talent plays in the background. Moving on, let's get to the first part of our 2021 RPG recap. We're going to start by talking about the big events of the year. Certainly the analog pocket being released is one of the big events. I mean, we've been waiting for that thing for like two or three years at this point. I pre-ordered it when the pre-orders originally went live in like 2019 or 2018, whatever yeah. it was. It was a long time ago, let me yep. tell you. You must have jumped on that shit right away. Oh, heck yeah. As soon as mm -hmm. I found out that it was a thing, I was like, I am buying this. And But if you, uh, if you waited, you're out of luck. You weren't able to get it. It's crazy. Let's talk about some of the big things that happened in the year in RPGs. I think the big one is Axe of the Blood God went independent. That's a big, Woo. that's yeah. very big. Woo. We have been just beyond anywhere what I thought, where I thought we would be. Like it has been like a really productive, this time mm -hmm. last year, I think both you and I, Kat, were just like, Let's go. even Eric, because you were in the same boat. We were all <laughs> days away from being laid off. Like, mm -hmm. okay, what now? And well, now we, we know now. Mm-hmm. I think it was almost exactly a year ago that we were recording the goodbye episode to U.S. Gamer oh, yeah. with our pal Matt Olson. Mm -hmm. Nadia was already gone. So I was, was gone. Technically, yeah. it was only the three of us left. Everybody else had either gotten new jobs or were just straight out gone. So we were just turning off the lights. I was getting the Patreon ready and thinking, mm -hmm. okay, here we go. I sure hope that this uh, becomes a successful thing. And lo and behold, like an amazing community followed us over into the Discord and elsewhere. And it's just been such a fun year, hasn't it? I mean, I had no doubt that y'all were going to be successful. Oh, like, legitimately. Thank you. Like, That's I, nice. I, I was sitting there. I was almost a little mad. I was like, they got blood God. They're going to be fine. Aww, <laughs> you had faith in us. I had I had more than faith in y'all. Y'all have been running this thing for a long time. You've been putting out a quality product, and I'm just happy I get to take part of it whenever I can. So I'm uh, glad to have you here. I, I love being here. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of a bummer that all that stuff went down. What feels like eons ago it does not feel like less than a year ago. It feels like ages ago. <laughs> but uh, God, it does. It, it is one of those situations where. Uh, 2020 makes things a lot clearer and but i mean 2020 hindsight like being able to look back and see how the path got you there it makes a lot more sense than looking out and guessing where the path is going to take you so i think we've all ended up pretty pretty well we got the podcast going and the community has been great and welcoming and fun and they only turned me into bienfu like once so that was <laughs> that was good that's already you happened know? huh we got it out of our systems that was the important part <laughs> i'm sorry what happened Oh, you missed a little yeah. bit while you were gone. <laughs> that was a thing. That last week was a bit chaotic. I don't know if you listened to the episode or not, but there was a there was an incident with a tails mascot and Eric. There's there's <laughs> no episode. Don't listen to it. Don't worry about it. It didn't exist. It's gone. <laughs> Nothing came out last week. Don't don't listen. A tails mascot and Eric. No, I haven't listened to this episode. I think I'm gonna have to go listen now. 
Oh, please it's do. Okay. It was a fun I'm episode. Now, repeat. now I'm mm-hmm. repeat. It's okay. I've I've gone up in the hierarchy of Tails uh, mascots. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted you to be Hoodle. Hoodle is S tier. Hoodle stands alone. Like yeah. nothing gets up to Hoodle, but repeat. Well, he has, a stand. I can... he has no feet. Hoodle, Hoodle needs no feet where he's going, you know? <laughs> where you're going, you don't need feet. Let me have them. <laughs> Beyond that, I would say the biggest RPG-related news story of 2021, and frankly, the one that dominated the second half of 2021 in games was the Activision Blizzard, ongoing <laughs> lawsuits, toxic culture, J. Allen Brack resigning, and it directly impacted RPGs in particular because Blizzard has created many amazing RPGs over the years. I mean, they put out Diablo 2, the remastered edition mm-hmm. this year, which was completely overshadowed by yeah. everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the culture was just revealed to be so insanely toxic and why, like it completely overshadowed that company to the point that it feels like their reputation is ru- going to be ruined for a long time to come. They're, they are going to have a lot of problems unless Kotick gets bounced on his ass. And yeah. he's really hanging in there. And a normal human being would have said, look, I'm stepping down. Whatever. <laughs> I have a Ferrari. I can just zoom away. I don't care. But he, you're right. Everything he's doing, everything that company is doing in the, in the upper echelons is just shadowing what could I mean, I heard Diablo two the remake was was good. You 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 previewed it, right, Cat? Like it's a perfectly good remake. Yeah. I played a whole bunch of it actually with uh, my group of friends. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fine. It, it had some server issues per usual course. and everything. I just got a big update actually. Uh, it was kind mm-hmm. of a big deal. Um, but yeah, like I think in normal times, Diablo two resurrected would have been treated with kind of a, more excitement. A lot or- more excitement. I mean. Put it this way, too. I was playing FF14 the other day, of course, and I saw a player, a new player named Mad at WoW or mm-hmm. Angry at WoW mm-hmm. or something like that. Just You have a lot of people coming on with salty WoW names now. That's oh, the yeah, weird it directly thing. impacted yeah. Final Fantasy XIV in so oh, many God, ways. Yes. You'd, you'd think that Final Fantasy XIV was the WoW killer, and in some ways it was and is, but also Activision Blizzard is the WoW killer. Activision <laughs> like, Blizzard is a WoW killer. They just... I mean, I've said it before, but going by the tittle tattle, you have the people who are working on the game saying, you know, this is what we need to do. Look at what FF14 is doing. We need to do the same thing. We need to have the same transparency, the same community. No, no, we're fine. We're wow. Everyone will come back to us. And all the wallets made just heinously unpopular business decisions with some of the studios that are under it, you know, doing the Titanic task of moving, moving all the allegations to the side. You have all the like business decisions that aren't popular with people who don't play call of duty and even with people who play call of duty i haven't heard great things about this year so it's was it worth it no yeah that company i mean a lot of it feels like chickens coming home to roost in terms of an internal company culture just report after report after report of problems at the company and nothing being done or in some cases according to the wall street journal report uh people stepping in the way to stop handling of problems and yeah it's it's gonna come back to bite you at some point and it really does seem like it's all coming back to bite them and it sucks that this used to be especially on the blizzard side a company mm-hmm. that i used to love starcraft was hugely formative for me warcraft was hugely formative for me the the rts games but 
that's not the company that it is anymore. And even the company that it was now in hindsight has a blemish on it. And we're just watching one of the biggest companies in video games just dig itself deeper and deeper down. And I mean, the funny part, I was just going to say the funny part now is if, you know, Codex Legacy is inspiring major unionization pushes across video games. Yeah, if it's got to happen, you know, at least he'll be useful for something. I think we said that last week. It's Mm -hmm. true, though. Yeah, the Activision Blizzard stuff calmed down for a hot second. And then the Wall Street Journal report dropped and it just exploded again. And it doesn't feel like it's really stopped, right? And labor issues have come into it as well, uh, especially with what was happening with uh, Raven and QA folks doing walkouts. And I think it's just a testament to how incompetent Activision Blizzard is that they've allowed it to fester to this degree. Like, oh my gosh. But I think more broadly, this is a reflection of the video game industry coming of age. So over at IGN, my coworker, Rebecca Valentine, just did an amazing report about Bungie and everything that was happening there. And both Bungie and Activision Blizzard are studios that came around the 80s and 90s, right? And it was a different time for the video game industry and especially women in the video game industry. It was much smaller. And that was how you ended up with a kind of a frat house atmosphere. And those people stuck around for years and years and years running these companies. And we have now reached a point where video games have matured as a business, as an industry. And that old culture, like we're finally kind of rooting it out in many ways. Companies that have been around for a long time are having to reckon with their past. They're having to grow up and get with the times. And that's what we're seeing right here. We actually covered that a little bit in our episode with uh, Alexia, our $100 Patreon uh, patron. And I was saying that, yes, things are very loud and, you know, uh, kind of in flux right now and chaotic, to be frank. But it needs to be because you have to change. And that's just the way change happens. And when we were growing up in the 2000s, it just stuff like this was not addressed. Stuff like... um you had some complaining about gender imbalances in the industry for sure, but not nearly to the degree you do now. You never talked about harassment or anything like that, which was rampant at the time. You just kind of, you were, you were quiet and you you rode the wave and that's changing and it should be changing. And it's just the way things are. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that it has resulted in a lot of women who have been in the industry for a long time, looking into their hearts and saying, wow, yeah, I, I knew it was that bad, but oh my gosh, I have to like almost reevaluate everything that I've experienced over the years and how much should I compartmentalize? Oh my God. Oh yeah. Like I, I mean, yeah. myself, I've been in this, of course, for years and years and years now. And it's interesting to kind of do a self-reflection and look back and think about how things were, you know, in say 2006 versus now, which is a, it's been a long journey. Yeah, I did a Activision Blizzard report back in April about why are people leaving and everything. And people were like going, oh yeah, it's miserable for minorities here. Yeah. But when I talked to people who were involved in it, they were like, 
Yeah, even when you were talking to us, like, I don't think there was, yeah, we knew that it was miserable for minorities, but we hadn't really stopped to think about just how bad it was. Like, we still had a certain belief in Blizzard as a culture. Mm -hmm. Right. And when the report came out, when the lawsuit happened, everybody had to do soul searching and realize, oh my God, things are not okay. And people finally got a chance to tell their stories. So... I like that you mentioned that it's it's not just Activision Blizzard either either because that's the hardest part about all this is we've had multiple reports over the last few months that Bungie PlayStation uh, I mean Ubisoft still has problems oh yeah and Quantic Dream etc cetera, etc cetera. like <laughs> it's it's Star literally Wars. like Jesus. reports reports don't stop coming out and it's really a case of this is at the point where you know, the, the water is going to break the glass and (laughs) you hope it does because like Nadia said, you you gotta, it's, it's past the point of where any of this can just be like glazed over and it shouldn't be glazed over. It needs to change because otherwise we've seen the effects of what happens when we compartmentalize and bottle all this up and pretend like it's all hunky dory and it's not hunky dory. The games industry needs to change. So. And we are seeing it because this is, very much a kind of a moment of reckoning, I think, where so many large video game developers are, well, develop uh, developers, high-end talent, they're, they have had enough in many ways. And the thing that video game developers have to contend with is that by the industry of standards of the tech industry, they don't pay that well. People no. don't have to put up with this stuff. And there are so many games industry folks who are just like, why am I, why am I doing this? I'm going to go to a place that pays me so much better than these people. And I'm not going to have to burn myself out, work myself to death on, on these video games and deal with these incredibly toxic individuals. Yes. I'll have to deal with totally different toxic individuals at this new (laughs) company, but I'll make a lot more money. Yeah. You may as well get paid for it, I guess. (laughs) No, I'm actually, if there's one thing I'm glad about COVID, it's that mm-hmm. there is a lot of uproar in like labor and people finally have power to demand what they deserve. And I'm mm-hmm. glad to see that. So again, rough times, but we'll hopefully come out better on the other end for all of it. More broadly, it was a very weird year for video games in general, for example. And we'll, we'll talk about this more in the, the bigger recap on Wednesday, but between the pandemic and semiconductor shortages, it was a challenge for everybody. Uh, What we were seeing in 2021 was the knock-on effect of what began last year. So, so many of the games that were coming out had already been in development for quite a while. They were on the home stretch. They were able to come out. But games that were set for 2021, I mean, so many games got delayed into 2022, uh, had massive difficulties with work from home, that kind of thing. Work, uh, it, it was just an insane logistical challenge all the way across the board. And in that light, it's hard to pick one single RPG that dominated this year. There were a lot of kind of, I, I don't want to call them B tier. I call them B tier a lot, but a lot of RPGs. Yeah, like smaller RPGs. They weren't necessarily tent pole releases or in the zeitgeist as it were, but were still uh, quite good. I, th- I think the closest, and you're going to appreciate this, Nadia, that we got to a tentpole zeitgeist RPG this year is Final Fantasy XIV and Walker. 
Well, I mean, it's so popular that you can't get in to play the game, so it must be doing something right. But speaking of COVID and game development, um, I did get to interview the uh, producer of Final Fantasy XIV, Yoshi P, uh, earlier in, in the year. And I asked him specifically, how has COVID affected the development of Final Fantasy XIV? And he brought up some really interesting points about how how much longer it makes everything. Like the example he gave me was uh, somebody changes the tint on a scene. And it used to be you call someone over literally like, hey, come and look at this. How does this look compared to this? And now you can't do that with like all the, the office shutdowns. You have to send things over to other people. Mm-hmm. They might not respond right away. And this is basically a very simple question with a very simple answer that would be solved in a second if you were in an office, but you can't be in the office, so you have to really slow things down a bit. And he did tell me that he was a little bit worried about maybe that affected the quality of the game. And I, I don't think there was any problem there, frankly, but I can understand. Well, it resulted concern. in a delay. There was a delay, absolutely. And I'm sure the pandemic was was very much the reason for that, because as he said, it just stretched everything out. And not only that, I mean, we were already talking a little earlier about the semiconductor shortages yes. basically leading directly to the long queues in Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah. That, and they're haunted by uh, some 1.0 code, but it, the semiconductor <laughs> is definitely part of the problem. But of course, of course, Final Fantasy 1.0 is there to haunt them. I wonder if it's also just attack on effect of, you know, we had Animal Crossing at the start of the pandemic that everybody got deep into. Yeah. And now one year further into the pandemic, People were looking for that next thing because, hey, we're not out of it yet. And uh, it's increasingly looking like more variants and stuff are going to cause more problems. So something like Final Fantasy 14 eating up your time and being a social getaway like Animal Crossing is certainly appealing. So that plus all the other reasons that it boomed in popularity. Now you've got more people than ever trying to swarm onto servers that they have not expanded at the speed that they've wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult situation all around. It's sometimes you have to humble yourself and remember that we are not mightier than germs, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Were there any other RPGs that you think kind of captured the zeitgeist in the same way? I mean, I guess Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl in some ways. Because in some ways. It, I, mm-hmm. I would also give it to not quite the same, obviously, but uh, Tales of Arise definitely got some buzz. It got buzz, but I think that maybe because of when it came out. I I seem to recall that it was kind of a, shall we say, um, it was overlapping with a major release. I don't remember what that major release was, but I remember Tales of Arise. Deathloop, I think. Deathloop, that was fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it came out at an awkward time, and I think more than anything, this was just the one that a lot of people have seen the tale series before and we're like, Oh, this seems like the one to jump in on, you know, this seems like the one to try this out. And it, I don't think it lit the world on fire. I don't think any RPG lit the world on fire except no. for N Walker this year, but uh, it was at least a high profile release for that. Honestly, I think outside of N Walker, one of the biggest ones was loop hero, maybe this like tiny game that, has honestly done a lot in terms of, you know, selling a lot of copies, becoming very front of mind, being in, you know, not prominent, but in the game of year talks. Like it's, yeah. it's doing a lot for something that you would not have expected this game to get this far. It's a very, I don't know if esoteric's the right word, but it's not what you would commonly see as like a popular type of video game. And it's doing really well. So that's been one of the indie successes of this year. Is opinion. it on Switch? I know it was coming to Switch. Just hit Switch. Switch. Now, yeah. Yeah. I got to grab it. 
We'll get into the best RPGs a little bit later, but I will say also that Mass Effect Legendary Edition kind of captured yes, the zeitgeist yeah. this year. Yeah, it did. Yeah, when it came out, everybody was so pumped to jump back into Mass Effect and just do an entirely new playthrough. Actually, EA released uh, some stats, and Kotaku had a kind of a strange article where they were like, wow. 90% of people got through the suicide mission without losing anybody. How can that happen? Lose a, I can't get through without losing anybody ever. It's like, it's not that hard. It's okay. Hey, hey it's, it didn't, it didn't that hard outside of one choice that they did not fix. And I wish they had fixed because I'm still mad about it to this day in that the team leader choice makes Samara feel like an ideal option because it literally says that she's a good, she's a former leader of teams in there. And I get mad at that because that's how you get people killed Bioware. But uh, it's also a 10 year old game. Those guides are everywhere. You think people hopping into the legendary edition aren't just pulling up the flow chart. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously, I'm not playing Can Mass me? Effect. I, I love Mass Effect 2. I've played Mass Effect 2 probably about three or four times in the last three or four years. I'm not playing through it without a flow chart. The first time I ever played Mass Effect 2 I managed to get through the suicide mission without losing anybody and without using a guide because I went and did all of the loyalty missions. You got to do those loyalties. And I upgraded my ship Mm -hmm. as I was told to. And I was like kind of panicking and going, oh, I got to get and save these people or I'm just going to be, I got to go right now because there's that hidden timer. And then finally, I don't know, I just listened to the cues where I was like, well, you know, Garrus probably is a good fighter or something. Send the tech guy. Legion, mm-hmm. you go do your thing. So it wasn't so bad. But not to dunk too hard on Kotaku. I just can't believe this funny. pivoted to get good already. <laughs> <It's> not- <laughs> it kind of reminds me of I was talking to someone or talking to someone who knew someone about RDR2. And they were complaining about how bad the ending was. And I was like, oh, there was like this, I died and there was this black wolf and I don't understand what happened. It's like, oh, they got the bad you played ending. the game like an asshole. That's what yeah. happened. Well, there were a few other major headlines from this year, including Koichi Sugiyama, the Dragon Quest composer, dying at 90. And of course, Cyberpunk continuing to deal with the fallout of its very bad launch last year. There were a lot of updates that were released throughout the year. We have now arrived at actually cyberpunk is good. <laughs> like that is the that is the discourse. <laughs> that's that's now. a discourse. I have seen that discourse on on Twitter uh, quite prominently. Uh, our, our good friend Doc is a, very much a cyberpunk defender, and he will defend it quite quite aggressively. <laughs> He's very much a fan. Nope. Much nope. love. Big old note from you me. You played I, it. Did you review it, Eric? Did you review it? I did not review it. I dodged that bullet. <laughs> oh, good for you. Uh, yeah. But I hear the PC version is fine. The one thing he, that I think actually was very nice that happened was when... Uh, it wasn't uh, fine. It had a lot of bugs. Yeah, it just uh, had okay, less bugs. <laughs> the thing was that they were trying to make this kind of living interactive world in Night City and that it was huge. But... There are just too many moving parts. And so you just saw so many weird things with like the cars, especially the the way that the people were moving. It showed how hard it is to make this kind of world. Um, When it comes to to cyberpunk, uh, I I watched multiple hours of the Tim Rogers review of that thing. Yeah. I exited feeling like I didn't actually want to play cyberpunk. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not that interested in play. He's like, no, it's a good game. I'm like, but you're not selling me on it. 
it was a rough time, I think, for CD Projekt Red because they had, as I said, Night City wasn't just sprawling the way Witcher 3 was. You also had to build it vertically. And I don't think they count. They really accounted enough for the Z-axis there. It's just a weird game because I did go back and, and played some of it after the Tim Rogers thing came out. And I just walked away with the same impression I did the first time was that it was a game just so full of stuff. It just never wanted you to ever have a moment to stop and breathe and take in the world. It, it was like whether you, you look at like all the, the YouTubers and Twitch streamers, they're just making random cameos everywhere and the constant advertisements and the side quests popping up everywhere. There was one cursed side quest about the taxis that have developed sentience or whatever. And every oh, time cool. I drove anywhere near one of them it was like hey hey look check this out you should go do this and then you know my cell phone starts ringing because someone else wants to contact me there's still a thing as far as i know it's it was in tim's video so i think this is still a thing when you're playing the big finale of that prologue where you're you know doing the runaway from the heist and all that that there's a fixer who just calls you because the runaway path goes by him and so if you haven't gone by that yet he'll kind of call you and be like Hey man, want to do some jobs for us? And V will be like, Yeah, I don't know. Who are you? Like, what are we talking about? And you're in the middle of a shootout. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so just That's game design 101, where yeah. you're just trying to create the sandbox, but you're also trying to layer in so many triggers yeah. that you get into a situation where you just completely break immersion with stuff like that. Yeah. Like I just like worlds that feel more focused on what the world is doing and how the world can inform it. And you can have a game that's filled with quests and still make it all feel natural and not overbearing. You can make it mm -hmm. feel rich, but it's this one just constantly wanted to bombard you with everything to the point that there are so many systems and pieces of that game that you frankly never need to engage with and you shouldn't really want to engage with in the first place because doing so just d never felt rewarding to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I could go into like really minute detail about how I think that the leveling in that game was not great because it forces like it pigeonholes you so fast and all that. But I just, I, I wanted something that was like an open world deus ex or the ghost in the shell RPG that I've been waiting for. And this was just kind of, open world game with futuristic neon layer wasn't even all that punk it was mostly just cyber so <laughs> all cyber no punk yeah how long before we get nfts and rpgs uh kill me now god i hope not <laughs> i mean nfts in starfield square's thinking about it and i don't get it every time anyone says hey we're doing nfts everyone starts throwing tomatoes like Stop offering NFTs. Nobody wants them except the like there's top a lot 1%. of money in it. Because there's, there's like some like free easy money free weirdos it. out there trading everything at like a billion dollars, and it's just MLM all over again. It's who a question of like, are you willing is to sell running your... these game companies? People who would get into crypto. Hmm. <sighs> I know that's a problem. It's also like fools easily being parted with their money. It's yeah. hard to look at that and not think, well, we can make a quick buck if we just put some JPEGs in our game and call them NFTs. And then these guys will buy them for like a thousand dollars. That's, that's exactly going to be it appealing. It's to anybody. unique. Yeah. But and, and there's been some attempt to have discussion about whether blockchain as an idea is yeah. valuable in gaming. But I keep looking at it and being like, 
this is just what the dota marketplace is already just worse and worse for the environment and just bad so like i i'd rather see companies just come up with more interesting ways to allow player player transactions and inter, you know exchanges without having to get like weird hyperlinks that eat rainforests involved <laughs> every time you click on this link a rainforest dies please think of the rainforest yeah well on that dark note eric here's the thing what is the thing Speaking of eating the rainforest, <laughs> uh, XCOM 2 Long War of the Chosen is out. This is my thing for this week. As you all know, I like mods. I like me- messing with games and making them cooler. And the Long War mod is kind of a really well-known mod that's been running since the original XCOM Enemy Unknown. Uh, that was an infamous, like to the point that I think they eventually added it as a playable version of Enemy Unknown in a later release or something like that. Like it came packed in. Uh, and I know that XCOM 2 had some level of like long war influence in it. But this one uh, takes the long war, which is basically a mod that expands the realm of what XCOM is, makes your choices matter over the long term, uh, just kind of like makes it a little bit more grand strategy esque and less, you know, mission to mission battle stuff and adds in all the war, of the chosen stuff, which I've only played a little bit of, but I've really liked because I think it makes XCOM to what that game kind of should have been from the jump. And it's really cool to see that not only is this still being supported at this point, but it, it gives me ideas and hopes for what an XCOM three might look like down the line. Once Firaxis is done making marvel XCOM, (laughs) but it's also kind of bittersweet and i put this in the notes that XCOM and XCOM 2 have gotten a lot of support and even the old XCOM games have a lot of love shown to them on steam and all that and they're constantly on sale it's so easy to buy them and play them uh but chimera squad just doesn't seem to have received the same love and that's a bit of a bummer even though that game was maybe not as good as XCOM (laughs) enemy unknown or XCOM 2 uh I think there's a reason for that. And that was, <laughs> it was just not nearly as open-ended. Yeah. yeah. You had these bespoke characters, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. So you weren't mm-hmm. creating your own squad. So you weren't creating your own story as much. Also, you were playing as a cop. I mean. Yeah. So. It came out at a bad time for that sort of like break and enter strategy tactics yeah. sort of game. Uh, and there's not a lot you can do about that. Even when you're breaking and entering squad is like a giant snake lady and all that. But uh, yeah, it's I would have liked to have seen that because I think and what I'm hopeful for with Midnight Suns is that it's taking some of that idea of creating structure and story within the XCOM universe and carrying it through from mission to mission, because I do think that is a valuable idea. And you could have done some interesting things with modding there too, creating custom campaigns. And kiss yep. Wolverine. Wolverine could be they, looking they at won't... a picture of you and stroking it. they've said that we can't we can't bang the superhumans in the the marvel game and i understand why okay i understand why but you can't at least like be like mods always exist like come on modders do your magic but uh it's i it's made me think a lot about what i want out of the future of XCOM. so i was going to end this not not this stuff not not marvel's midnight suns what do you want out of XCOM then xcom freaking three Mm-hmm. That's all I want. 
I want XCOM 3 and I want it to be more open-ended, not less open-ended. More RPG, not less RPG. And bring back the base building elements. Oh my God, mm-hmm. they didn't really have the base building stuff in War. Uh, not as much, the, no. The Chimera Squad stuff either. Like Chimera mm-hmm. Squad felt like a an expansion pack, right? For yeah, like those, those Far Cry knockoffs that are like the same game rebuilt with the assets into a new thing. Yeah, so... I, I just want a game where I feel like I am crafting my own narrative to some mm-hmm. extent. And it feels like Fraxis is getting away from that. And I don't really agree with that approach, honestly. Let me tell you about the magic of Wildermath. <laughs> <laughs> because let me tell you, uh, action fans aren't playing XCOM. People who are playing XCOM are strategy fans. Yeah. So I don't know why you're trying to go for broader audiences when you're just going to alienate your tactics fans. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. I do think, strangely, though, that Enemy Unknown had a lot of mainstream appeal, even though it was mm-hmm. like a tactics ass tactics game. There are a lot of people I know who never touch any other strategy game, but they like XCOM a lot and they know all the memes about 99% chance to hit and missing and yeah, firing at yeah. their feet and all that. It's because so, it was a creepy game. And it, it was a cool setting. It's a cool idea. Cool setting. There's a, there a horror element mm-hmm. kind of it to it. And the aliens did kind of feel alive. It wasn't as deep as the original XCOM, but it managed to retain elements of those layers. And of course, having a hardcore mode was a big one as well. And you felt, I feel, a lot of connection to your squad. And that continued on to XCOM 2, which also did a fantastic job with it. Uh, Chimera Squad was just silly. It was a silly <laughs> game. I felt no menace with that game. Mm. Mostly I was just like, what? what is this stupid cop game? It's Alienation. It's just Alienation from like 1989. I thought you were going to say Zootopia. <laughs> I was like, Zootopia <laughs> with aliens. Finally, yeah. my tactical Zootopia game. <laughs> I don't know. Nadia, what do you think about XCOM? Are you an XCOM I never, fan? I, never, I was never a fan. I don't even think I played very much of it. I just know that when Mike was playing, he named characters after us and would say, oh, Nadia died. Oh, Cat died. And it was kind of mm. weird. Yeah, Very funny. In my playthrough of XCOM 2, my avatar, the character that I created of myself, got mind controlled. And oh boy. I couldn't <laughs> save her, and I desperately needed to finish this mission. And so I said, Well, cat, bon voyage. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the last I saw that character, they were shooting at me while I was getting to the jump jet trying to get away. <laughs> But that's beautiful. That's beautiful in and of itself. That's the thing that makes XCOM really work. And even like modern games like Wildermyth. And so I do have a little bit of that worry that with the Marvel game, I love the idea of Marvel characters hanging out and the sort of like social sim elements of that. But you are now making me think it's not going to have stuff like that because they're not going to let you leave Doctor Strange to die on the battlefield. (laughs) Oh, heck no. Absolutely not. That'd be great. Well, away. it's been Hello? good. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Heal, medic. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll probably just get knocked out or something. Or yeah. But I would come on, Wolverine. You can't knock out Wolverine. The man's made out of like adamantium. Yeah. Yeah. You you have to like metal bend him. You have to magneto how, how, him. How are you going to handle the fact that a thug totally can't take out Wolverine? Like well, they're, they're like demons, super, aren't, super healing. Aren't you fighting like demons and stuff? I think demons are at least, you know, sure, capable sure. of doing some damage to Wolverine. Okay, fair, fair. So it's going to be only demons? 
I, I know the demons are somehow involved because yeah. Lilith is like the main antagonist. And yeah, it they're going like the more stuff. horror route. Yeah. yeah. Which I do, I do think makes sense, not just so you get like Blade and stuff in there, but also you are right. If some random thug is showing up and it's against Wolverine or Captain Marvel, like that's not much of a threat. <laughs> Can you imagine being a thug going up against Wolverine? Like I, the one thing I love about like Batman animated series and like really good shows like that is when you have the thugs who know that they're in trouble and mm-hmm. just they're like, well, they're either whatever. I'm throwing everything to win because who knows? Maybe I'll be the guy who killed Batman or they're just like, you know, piss their pants and give up right there. I like there's a clip in the old animated series where a guy walks in on Batman and then just like drops his gun and leaves. <laughs> it's just like, I'm, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> turns out. Turns around. I'm out. Gone. Smart guy. I like the idea of a thug just walking up to Wolverine and being like punching him and going, ow. <laughs> and he just looks at you for and a he second just looks before at he you, skewers you. Disapprovingly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, thanks so much for talking about XCOM. I know there was a reason that I brought you onto this podcast. I love it. I sure wasn't talking about it. Nadia, what are you going to be talking about? Is it is it time for Nadia's nostalgia nook? It is time for Nadia's nostalgia. I was right trying in. to do a good throw to a you. Good segue, a good, a good segue. segue <laughs> but we'll just roll with it. No, Nadia, five what's out of the 10. Nadia's nostalgia nook for this week? So for Nadia's nostalgia nook, well, at the time of this recording, it is actually the thirty fourth anniversary of Mega Man. Woo! And yes, yeah. yeah, see, that was December seventeenth, nineteen eighty seven. So I was seven years old when Mega Man came out. Oh my god. Eric I, wasn't even born yet. Oh my I god! Was, I was literally, yeah, not even speck, on this plane Eric. of existence yet. You were a speck. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about the time that my my friends and I wanted to make a Mega Man X RPG because we thought this was something that was actually going to happen. I was in high school, so of course you know it was going to happen. We had just kind of met up online through like I think Mega Man X three or Mega Man X four was out, and we decided we're going to make this RPG. And we got as far, I think, as making, like, one character portrait for Zero. Like, you know how you would go into the menu and you'd see the mm-hmm. character portraits? We got one of Zero, uh, so so that was good. The The particular artist who was helping us was, um, ex- well, she was very, very good, especially for her age at the time, but she was very, very Toriyama. So you had this extremely Toriyama-looking mm. Zero. That was all we accomplished. I think we wrote, like, part of the story. And here was the, the thing with, with fan games back in the day is at least now people are a lot more realistic. You have a lot more tools that you can go to if you want to make your own game. Uh, heck, I mean, Undertale is programmed in what? Game Maker? Like just, yeah, you know, yeah. drag and drop. And obviously you can retool things from there, but you have that those basics there to help you out. Even kids can go into Roblox and provided they miss the really problematic payment system in there, it's still a great tool for making games. But back in the day, we had no idea what anything did what were games programmed in back then c++ we didn't know that so what everyone would do is we'd say oh we're gonna make a sequel to to final fantasy or we're gonna make a Mega Man x rpg uh can do we is, can anyone program this game for us like you send out a call on the internet and of course nobody would answer so mm-hmm. you'd be stuck with your dying dreams and that's as far as our rpg went was that portrait of zero so happy 34th birthday to Mega Man. i, I think in the <laughs> end i got some redemption because I wrote the or co-wrote the Mega Man Robot Master Field Guide for Udon, and of course recently the Mega Man X Maverick Hunters Field Guide for Udon. So 
there you go. I couldn't program in C++ or anything at all, but at least I still wrote a thing for, for Capcom on an official, official scale. So hooray. I'm just imagining Marge Simpson telling Nadia see not and pointing to a video game and saying, see Nadia, see all that code, Nadia. That's why your video game didn't work. <laughs> That's why your game didn't work. That's exactly what it was. I'm glad kids these days have better options to actually make their own games if they want. It makes me think of the Calvin and Hobbes comic where he decides that he's going to build a robot to try and do all of his chores for him, but it's just a tin can that's sitting on a stick or something like that. And he's like, why isn't it working? Oh, that was great. Lovely. What a great arc. I love Mega Man, of course. It is a, a wonderful game. I actually picked up uh, Mega Man 3 for my Famicom oh. AV. Ooh. Oh, good for you. That's really cool. In my new house, I set up a little bit of a retro nook, so I'm going to be able to play some games. I got a, get this, I got a Pikachu N64. Heck oh yeah. my God, the one where you touch the foot for the, the power or the reset? The, yeah, yes, and the um, it glows and everything. Oh my God. Um, that is so cool. We were talking about it on NVC and they were calling it the maximum overdrive of N64s. So. <laughs> <laughs> People were very mad about that N64 when it came out, as I recall. Because Pokemon was huge at that point. Obviously, Nintendo was putting a lot of effort and time into it. And the N64 library was not in a great place then. And a lot of people were accusing Nintendo of being too childish, too kitty again. Out comes Nintendo with a Pikachu N64. And everyone's just kind of pointing at it like that meme with Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. When I was looking at this, I was like, wow, I, they would not make this today. Right. <laughs> You think of the, you think the purple lunchbox memes were bad for the GameCube? Could you imagine if they did this with a Switch or something? It's it's wild. I I love that stuff though. Uh, it's very wholesome. You can be you can be subtle, I guess. One of my favorite consoles that I own is my golden uh, 3DS XL with the Triforce on it that I got yeah. for for Link Between that's Worlds. That's cool. Okay, that is it's genuinely one of the coolest like console things I own on my shelf of Nintendo consoles, and it's it's wonderful. But I. I'd like to see, I feel like the Switch has not had very many of those, and I wish there were more. Oh, I mean, I wish they would have themes. I wish <laughs> they'd have themes. Oh, you can you can make your screen black now. There you go. Woo! Woo! Why? I don't understand Nintendo, but I don't think any mortal is meant to understand Nintendo. Anyways, here's Dynamite Heady and Alter Beast. <laughs> when I think of the Pikachu N64, I also think of, what was it, a Hot Wheels... Was it a Hot Wheels iMac or was it something else? But it was like a really famous Hot Wheels computer that everyone seemed to have back in the day. And it's the source of a lot of memes now. Okay, Nadia, thanks so much for the nostalgia nook. Let's get back to the 2021 RPG recap. And now this is the part of the show where we're going to be talking about the best RPGs of 2021, or at least our very favorites. Nani, I'll start with you. What were some of your favorite RPGs of 2021? Endwalker gets a pass here and now, so I'll just get that out of the way. Besides that, Tales of Arise was great. SMT5 was really good. Um, Monster Hunter Stories 2, I really, really enjoyed that. And it doesn't quite count. RPG adjacent, I liked Pokemon Snap 2 a lot. Um, I, I had a great time with that game. I still have to play the DLC, but I enjoyed it. 
Uh, there's a, of course, Bay of the Default 2. That was also very good. There was just a lot of smaller releases this year, excluding Endwalker, that I never really lacked for anything to play. And it was just a really good, wholesome year for RPGs. Oh, and 13 Sentinels. I played that this year, so I'm going to count that. Mm, was yeah. that this year? That was last year. It was last year, but I played it in January. And yeah. it was just so good, oh. I had to give a shout out. And it's on Switch next year, where it's God, I'm so excited I'm play it again. going to run. <laughs> I keep thinking. I don't know. I keep forgetting Monster Hunter Stories 2 came out this year. Mm-hmm. So did Rise. Rise was another one I want to mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great game. But I love yeah. st- I love Stories 2 a lot. I don't know. I just love the story series. Rise was my most played Nintendo Switch game of 2021, according to my stats thing. So I guess that's my, my favorite Switch game this year. I, I did really end up enjoying it. It was kind of the perfect melding of... The beauty and accessibility of Monster Hunter World and kind of the depth of the portable versions. The only thing that was missing was the difficulty. And honestly, they have an expansion coming out next year. So I expect that there will be lots more grinding where that came from. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Rise was also a really good gateway for new players. I said earlier on another episode how World is considered the gateway, but I think Rise really made it just a little bit more friendly for more people to come in. And of course you had the, the, the Palamute, which was a great addition. Just here's a dog you can ride on. Thank you. I like mounts. I like dog mounts. I'm good. The Palamute was a fantastic idea. Everything about Monster Hunter Rise is just so much faster than World. Um, exactly. Just being able to do the, the grappling hook around. Oh, that was such a great uh, that idea. That was a great idea. I love the grappling hook. I like how much faster it was compared to World. I also like mounting up on monsters and having yeah. them beat up other monsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you run them into each other because you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> you're just like, oh, God, this is terrible. What am I doing? I'm having so much fun. I had a whole thing where I would hit a monster enough that it would be uh, stunned, and then I would mount it. And instead of running into a wall or whatever, I would take it to another monster, have it attack that monster, and the other monster's like, what are you doing? I was just minding my own business. She's sitting here, sitting here eating grass or whatever. Peter's going to have something to say about all this. <laughs> it gets into a big fight. And then I knock that monster down, get on that monster and have it start attacking. <laughs> have it started attacking the monster that I was originally fighting. If I do it right, I can get like a really good loop going. You know, you know what it's like? It's like when you have two cats in the same house and one of them gets pissed off and then one gets pissed off and then they just kind of go at each other until finally someone gives up. Mm-hmm. Mm. I didn't realize that you played so much Monster Hunter Rise, Nadia, or at least I forgot. I, did. uh, I didn't finish it, but I did play quite mm-hmm. a bit of it. I would actually like to pick it up again just on my Switch OLED because I think it'll benefit from the look. I think that it's a really good example of how you can tailor a game for the Switch and make it, you know, it might not be as, as incredible looking as World, but it was still very, very functional. I don't recall having any problems with frame rate. Yeah, I was actually really impressed with the frame rate on Monster Hunter Rise. Even when you had a huge number of enemies on screen, it still looked really good and still ran pretty much just fine. Like from a technical standpoint, it's one of the absolute best games on the Nintendo Switch. Yes, definitely. It's that and I think Dragon Quest uh, 11s are uh, probably the best examples of Switch ports that you can that are like really, really solid. Capcom doesn't get enough credit for its technical prowess. Mm. Its games are consistently some of the absolute best looking games on any console. And they mix really good graphics 
with fantastic art direction. Mm-hmm. Their engine is everything that freaking Frostbite is not. Is, <laughs> oh, nice. It's true. It's really versatile. It can be used across many consoles. I mean, they used the Resident Evil engine on to, to into Monster Hunter Rise. They put it on the Switch. And, they're, mm. and, and EA's going, oh, Frostbite's not going to work on the Switch. It's like, that just goes to show the difference and the versatility of the tools here. And their games always run really well and look really good and don't have that many, many bugs. Resident Evil Village was a really, I didn't like that game, but it was an amazing looking game. It was a solid game, yeah. Yeah, like for its for for next gen consoles and everything. So yeah, I think Capcom honestly deserves a lot more credit for its technical prowess. Yeah, I, I just thought about how you were mentioning the engines there, and you're right. Uh, we've talked in the past about how a lot of Japanese companies had a hard time in the HD era with their engines, and Capcom seemed to figure it out pretty early. In fact, infamously, the engine for Dead Rising was engineered to make Mega Man Legends 3, like not the one that we eventually got and didn't get, but Keiji Inafune had an idea in his head, and it, basically their engines are made to be versatile, and that's important. They make a lot of different games. I mean, the fact that you've yeah, got have a lot an of engine that can on. support Monster Hunter and Resident Evil and Devil May Cry. Like, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. I mean, they had that lull in the early 2010s yes. where they where it seemed like things were just going to be really bad for them. And I thought they were going to be another Konami because yeah. they were having a really hard time. They wanted to cater to the West, but they were going about it all the wrong way. And finally, they gave up and said, you know what? We're doing our thing. You like it? Great. If you don't, you don't. And people liked it. So hooray for everything. Resident Evil 6 was especially bad. And I never oh, played it. God, yeah. There might be some Resident Evil 6 stands out there, but oh my God, I remember but the they're time. Wrong. <laughs> I know yeah. that one. It was Resident Evil 7 was the beginning of a kind of an upward trajectory for yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And then Monster Hunter World was when they were fully back. And yeah. it was like, okay, Capcom, they're here again. And it's a weird company to work for. And in some ways, it's kind of a throwback to, you know, kind of traditional Japanese companies. Like people who've worked there always seem kind of annoyed about the idea of working at Capcom. <laughs> like, I like where I, the impression I get is that when you go to work for Capcom, you're working for kind of a tight-fisted company mm. where Japan exercises a lot of control and that right. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of that. And they are a little more traditional, as is Nintendo. So you still have those companies that are still kind of clinging to traditional ways. And in many ways, that's to their benefit. And to other ways, it's not. But I'm glad Capcom is doing well. Eric, what was your favorite RPG this year, or some of your favorite RPGs this year? Well, let's shout out another publisher that I think had a pretty good year in Bandai Namco, because yes. not only Tales of Arise being what I think the Tales series needed, but Scarlet Nexus was surprisingly better than I thought it was going to be. And better than anybody thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think even myself included, I was looking at it and being like, oh, this looks kind of like they're just making god eater in a like cyberpunk skin and a lot of their messaging early on was very strange because they really wanted to push this idea of brain punk it's a new kind of <laughs> right punk. i remember that word it was the weird there i did an interview with them at some point it was the weirdest responses i've ever gotten where i was like but what is brain punk and i just did not get an answer <laughs> uh but what it turned out to be was 
an action RPG, I would definitely say it's further on the action scale than Tales is. But a lot of really cool ideas, a lot of implementing of uh, ideas that other series have, like the Tales games and the Persona games and a bunch of other stuff. And it worked really, really well. Beautiful, beautiful enemy design. I thought the enemies in that game were spectacular. The weird, creepy body horror yeah, stuff they had going on. I liked on. the enemies. They looked very, very different. Just almost like Yokotaro inspired. Mm-hmm. I think the main story falls short in some ways that in some aspects are fun. Like there is a literal line where they talk about like you can't put your faith in the moon or something like that. And it it does make sense but it's it's still weird and that story just kind of goes all over the place and also kind of encourages you to play it twice which i don't know if that's good in scarlet nexus's sake but i'd also say that it going on to game pass real quick was really good for it too because i know a lot of people who didn't catch it when it came out and then picked it up when it went on game pass and were like oh this is this is pretty good so I think Bandai Namco had a good year and and definitely the year that's going to set them up for future success because now they've got two series that they can build on top of and two teams that can build solid RPGs in the future. So I'll yeah. hope with them. Uh, but I want to I do really want to shout out Wildermyth. That is the surprise of this year for me. Uh, small dev team putting together something that is essentially an engine for creating stories that is loosely close to either you know a tabletop game or an XCOM and it is certainly I think there's criticisms that you can easily make about its look being very flash gamey and stuff like that but I think for what's on offer from this team and what they've continued to do in the time since it is huge huge success for this team and just the systems of it we've talked about it a lot on here but I just that one came out of left field and everyone who's picked it up has fallen in love with it, myself included. So uh, Wildermyth is the one that I just keep yelling about. I'm like, this is a game that is infectiously fun. And some of my favorite RPG gaming this year is from that. I should probably play it. Oh, absolutely. Nadia, what are you doing? Come on. I got to Switch next year. Yeah, I, got... I might wait till it comes on Switch. No, I got probably keys. Play, like, we'll crap. hook you up. We got you. Nadia <laughs> gotcha. doesn't play games on PC unless they're named Endwalker. I know I don't even play on. Are you kidding me? I don't play Endwalker on PC. I play it on the PlayStation Five. There God, you this go. thing tried to run Endwalker, probably explode and go to the moon itself. Never mind the Warrior of Light. <laughs> but that's what's nice about Wildermyth. It's going to run on that laptop. It's going to run does great it? on that laptop. Oh yeah, we'll you see sl- about that. Look, I I like it a lot. It does look like a flash game, so you're going to oh, okay. be all right. Your, your computer could run it. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. And a quick brief shout out. I almost forgot. I loved Ease 9. I feel so bad mm. because Reb, who's coming on the show tomorrow, uh, I don't think she liked it. And I adored it. And I it was like, she got it on my recommendation. And uh, I felt bad about that all year. Uh, different tastes for different folks and all that. Yeah, but, but I feel all bad. All right, Ease 9 did come out this year. I, I loved I reviewed it for IGN. I loved it. I liked it as much as 8, if not more. Looking forward to more from Falcom. I know that next year, they I think it's Ease's, God, 40th, I, I don't know at this point. I don't even want to think about the numbers that high. I also want to shout out two games this year that awoke awoken the sicko in me. Uh, <laughs> yes. Dungeon Encounters and Loop Hero. Uh, I did not know how much I enjoyed just a good crunchy interface in a game or just a game that is unapologetically what it is to the point that it's like Loop Hero 
looks like it could have been on the PC 98 with all that interface <laughs> and yes. uh, that that DOS style look the same way as like World of Horror uh, had its own very singular look. And then Dungeon Encounters is kind of on a different trajectory, but definitely went for a thing that was we are doing this design and we are going for this thing and is very specifically this thing. And it just it awoken something in me that now I just keep looking for even weirder and stranger games that are this like niche and complicated and, uh, you know, don't explain themselves super well, kind of have that internal friction that pushes against the player a little bit, uh, your pathologics and the like, there's a game on that. The discord keeps talking about called under that I keep looking at that, I, I've gone down a path now. I've I've gazed too <laughs> deep into the abyss, and this is, this is where back. we're at. So yeah, I guess now my two brands, my three brands are Mass Effect, uh, anime, and Interface Sicko. So <laughs> all good <laughs> brands. Interface Sicko. Interface <laughs> sounds like a triangle strategy. Triangle strategy. We'll talk about it when we get to the 2022 RPGs, but it's weird that looking ahead at 2022 triangle strategy might be my most anticipated game. <laughs> and they show that UI and they're like, don't worry, we'll clean it up. And I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> Leave it all this, in there. This, ma- this malformed child at its own inner beauty. <laughs> you got more numbers. Can you put more numbers on the screen? <laughs> <laughs> Can you fill the screen with numbers, please? Well, Outside of Monster Hunter Rise, probably one of my most played RPGs of 2021 was Bravely Default 2, which I did not expect in the no, least. No, that was great. I didn't actually like Bravely Default 1 that much. It was really mm. grindy, and it was a throwback to more of the NES spirit than the 16-bit spirit in a lot of ways. So the character was kind of annoying to me. So I picked up Bravely Default 2 just to start playing it, for uh, the podcast so that I could talk about it. And something hooked in my brain. Mm-hmm. It's it's It was wild. I was like, I really like this game. I'm into it. I, I want to keep playing. And I did. I rolled all of the credits. And I would have kept doing all of the side content as well if I didn't feel like I was like, no, I have to put this down and play other yeah. games now. <laughs> like, I was going to put yeah. another 50 hours into this game. It was crazy. It was first of all the art direction is underrated in that game because the so. costumes for each character are all really good and yes. i love the boss fights because they're kind of like puzzle situations where yes. you are coming up with different strategies for your party and having to have versatility you have to really think through how your party is constructed but in a way that is really accessible actually i think it's incredibly good at making all of its systems fairly simple to understand. And in that regard, even though the story is very simple, it's really charming. It is is. a good game. It's a good, good, good game. It's a very, very solid, unassuming RPG. Like you look at it and you think, oh, it's, it's, you know, bravely default, whatever. But it has a, it's very addictive. The way its systems are, the way you can care, you can build your characters. As someone who is not huge into character building, at least not as much as you, Cat, I just had a, a great time customizing my characters, and not just the stats, but also, as you said, the costumes were also charming and so different for each character. And that takes a lot of effort to implement into your to your game, especially when each costume not only changed, but really suited each character. You know what I mean? Like, it just seemed to work for everybody. It wasn't just 
random polygon slapped on someone. They, they put thought into how each character would look. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad to hear that it, it sold quite well, actually. And the weapons are really cool, too. <laughs> the weapons are awesome, of course. Yeah. I just, I really dug Bravely Default, too. It's the biggest surprise, I yeah. want to say, for me. Um, I'm also going to shout out Super Robot Wars 30, which I've only dug about, I've only dug a little bit into it, but now it's really opened up for me and I can go to a whole lot of different missions and uh, recruit anybody I want. And a lot of the new characters, a lot of the new series hit for me in Super Robot Wars 30 in a way that they just did not in SRWT. And I've just been having so much fun with this one. It's really like the graphics have taken a step up. I'm really glad to be playing it on Steam, actually, and I can't wait to be playing it on Steam Deck. I'm really glad I got the yeah. premium sound edition. This is the most fun I've been having with the Super Robot Wars game in since at least V, but possibly before that. Like, it is, it's excellent. So. Something we covered last week briefly was the, pr- the producer or the creator was, uh, he left Bandai Namco, apparently. Gasp! No! Yes. Yeah, he still he he left, but he's freelance and he's still oh. like with the with the series. You know, just a, a bare step off the path. It reminds me of how the uh, Persona sound team is yeah. now freelance, and Lynn did a cover of Escape from the City, which went up uh, the other day, and it's just fantastic. And I'm just waiting to hear more covers of Sonic Adventure music. That's going to be epic from the Persona team. Mm-hmm. So my question now is. What is your RPG of the year, 2021, the best RPG, the RPG that you would point to and say, yep, that's the one. That's the best RPG. Your personal favorite. It's hard. I feel like I enjoyed a Tales lot. Of- barely. I don't know. Tales of Arise Barely. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. between that and Wildermyth for me. They're like two and three and swapping places on any given day. They're not my number one game of the year, but uh, shout out to Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, the game I put 120 hours into. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, they each provided something different. And I think in terms of surprise, I'd say Wildermyth. And then in terms of just being the thing that I wanted and, spent 80 hours in the span of a week and a half just diving through and loving uh tales arise was that so you've talked very little about mass effect legendary edition so i've thought mm-hmm. about this i was thinking about this coming into this and i have a few weird hang-ups about it number one is that i played uh melee <laughs> if you will uh m-e-l-e on the pc and honestly if you play it on the PC and you've ever modded Mass Effect, it's it's pretty similar to that experience. So I felt like I'd already kind of seen what this thing was outside of the changes made to Mass Effect 1. The changes made to Mass Effect 1 were good. They modernized it in a way. Uh, I wouldn't say it was anything particularly earth shattering. Like the big thing about this is that there's a lot of people out there who have not played these games in a decade plus time. And now you can easily play all of them in a single continuum on your PlayStation five or Xbox or whatever. And that rules for people. But I think that's why my enthusiasm is a little bit muted because if you've been playing on PC already, you've been able to do that for a while. Uh, It's a great collection and also earned Bioware. I think a lot of goodwill back from the fans but uh 
also i just have a thing about remasters is you know near replicant will probably be on my end of the year list because i did really love near replicant right. but that was my first time ever playing the first near but i've played mass effect so many times i can recite most of it from memory so uh I've played that game before. It's it's definitely an excellent thing. I'm glad people have. But in terms of what I personally played this year, I I lean towards the new stuff. Uh, I choose Monster Hunter Rise. (laughs) It is the best switch game of the year, in my opinion, and it was carried off magnificently. Well, there was a lot of content on there. I put 120 hours into that game, grinding everything up. I can't wait for the expansion. It deepened my appreciation for monster hunter it's so much fun to play with all of the uh the different items and i think a lot of people go well is it an rpg and it's like okay maybe it doesn't have dungeon crawling or whatever but it is a game that is focused around character builds right is borderline an mmorpg it just has an action hardcore action element to it as well like looking up builds and acquiring items in monster hunter is a huge, huge part of it, like uh, assigning all of the different perks and everything. So, yeah, like, sure. I, if it's not an RPG, it's close enough, you know? And I'll if, accept if, it. If we're going for something a little more traditional, I mean, I think Bravely Default 2 is my favorite RPG of 2021. It is. Like, Tales of Arise is great. I mean, it's phenomenal. I really enjoyed my time with it and everything, but I don't know what it was about Bravely Default 2 that just... You know, it hit me. It hit mm-hmm. just right. Hit the cat button. Mm-hmm. Hit the cat button. Nadia, what about you? And Walker. I'm really sorry. I just <laughs> can't think of anything else. And it's hard for me to even talk about the game because there's so many spoilers. So many people can't get on the game. The free trial has grown too powerful. Please stop praying for my grandpa. It, it's just <laughs> so phenomenally done as a an, a wrap-up to the story of the signs of the Seventh Dawn. And... The music's fantastic. The story's fantastic. The just crying my eyes out through like the last like twenty percent of the game. It, I mean, you're talking about a game where you're going from like Final Fantasy Soviet Russia to the moon, like <laughs> in, in, within a few hours of each other. Uh, everything just kept on moving. It didn't stop. But I also have to say that I do love Final Fantasy Soviet Russia, where your base is a wooden a wooden subway. That's so amazing. Oh, I love that shit. Anyway, yeah, Endwalker. Sorry. Uh, pouring one out for Neo, the end world ends with you, which uh, has not been mentioned yeah. a single time in this whole episode. I'm really sorry. I, I do love the game. I think it's great, but it Good music. got a little bit overshadowed. Oh, fantastic music, but yeah, it got a bit overshadowed. Music. Incredible style. I thought what they did with the battle system was incredibly smart to try and modernize what that thing is. I just, I hit a point halfway into that game where I had to put it down for other stuff. And the more I've thought about going back, it's that mix of, oh, I'd have to relearn how to play the game, which yeah. is its own thing. But also, I enjoyed what it was in the moment, but it didn't hit me the way that the first game did. And I think that first game was just a very special game at a very special time. And I don't know if Neo is really hitting me the way that original one did. That's fair, yeah. And SMT5... I think the one reason that that game has not come up that much is it came out um, kind of toward the end of the year, so we haven't necessarily had time to finish it. Eric, did you review that one? 
No, no, no. Okay, <laughs> I'm dodging bullets over here, cat. Stop trying to pin reviews to me. <laughs> I, I played a great deal of SMT Five. It's actually fantastic. Uh, shout out to the best battle music ever. I think it's yeah. just incredible. I had a great time with SMT Five. In fact, I'd say if not for Endwalker, then SMT Five would be like my second or my third, maybe even my first. You didn't even shout it out originally, though. No, I did when we started. Okay, we started. Okay. I, I did. I did shout it out because. Oh, fair great. enough. I think my big thing with SMT is I just want to play that on something that's not the Switch because I love mm. my Switch and I love the portability, but that game, it's just Tries no... Out to be on the PS5, is that I just saying? don't have any technical problems with it. Like, holding it in my hands, a big deal. So it stutters a bit on the overworld. So does everything on the Switch. I'm so used to it, but... I, it looks better that. in handheld than it does in docked. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah. I don't play it in docked. And I'm playing on the OLED. Maybe that has something to do with something. I don't know, but I, was, I don't have any major complaints. I played it on my OLED when I was going on the Disney trip um, and I thought it ran better and looked better, but it was just that feeling of I want that buttery smoothness. I want some of the loading screens to speed up a little it bit. It is more. a little bit loady. Uh, you know, it's I quite just, slow too. like just it feels very slow and very stilted in a way that kind of brought me back to Nocturne in many ways. I mean, not on Ugh. the overworld, but during the actual battles, yeah, it does actually. Really? No, I had, like, did, do you mean, like, literally slow or, like, just Like, the, literally slow. You can speed them up. Not slow down. Like, yeah. Okay. Playing Persona 5. Oh, my God, I did the thing. I did the thing. Cats. Persona 5 is buttery <laughs> smooth when you're playing the actual battles. And but if you just hit A, you skip stark. everything. I just... The animations, you know, just sorry, Nadia. I don't know. It's just weird to me. Like, it's a weird complaint. If you can skip everything, it's, what's the difference? It's just having trouble hooking me in, too. I, think I apologize for my slow. weird complaints. <laughs> Someone's got they're, to. They're valid, you know. What's funny is that Bravely Default 2, it's not, you know, it moves fast mm -hmm. and it's stiff and it, the production values are pretty low on Bravely Default 2, but that game. I don't know, like it managed to lean into its style more in more of a way than that hit me harder than SMT5. And uh, I feel like I'm squandering all my cred. I'm going to give SMT5 a chance. I really am. I'm, I'm going to give it more of a chance. It just, I kind of bounced off it a little bit because I had to get back into Persona 5 and then I had Ironic. to move. <laughs> And I'm going to finish Persona 5 first and then maybe I'll come back to SMT5. But yeah, you know, try right it after now, Persona 5. Yeah, but when it, if a game doesn't really hit me, there are so many other games that I could be playing right now. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good game for the year. No, it's one of the best RPGs to come out this year. I just, from a personal standpoint, it's just not hitting with me. Does that make sense to you? A little. All right, it's time <laughs> to pick the best RPG of 2021, according to Acts of the Blood God. And what do we think it's going to be? Endwalker. Eric? I... I would have voted for Tales of Arise, but I want to give a vote to Endwalker just because okay. I think Endwalker signifies just a big touch point for Final Fantasy XIV as a game. It's a big celebratory moment for that game that's had a constant upward trajectory, even when people thought it was going to peter out on Shadowbringers and stuff like that. It it is it feels like a celebration in a way. Uh, I know I've heard from people who have been playing it that they're like, oh, there's so much stuff that's just like all the legacy of the games, the expansions prior and stuff like that are tied in in ways. And it just feels like a big celebration of that stuff. So I 14, 14's earned this 14 has earned this Yoshi P has earned this. 
I just thought they're being haunted by the 1.0 code at the last second. Oh, you yeah. thought you were rid of us, eh? Reaching out for them. <laughs> All right, sure. We can, we can make an MMORPG the best. Uh, <laughs> I also best knew RPG I wasn't going to win Tales of Arise. So, you know. Tales of Arise <laughs> is the other one. I would, yeah, but... That's the hard thing about doing, giving an MMORPG the yearly uh, award, especially if it's one that nobody can freaking play right now. It's. I, I'm tempted to just kind of shuffle it over to why don't we share the award? Why don't we give part of it to Endwalker and part of it to Arise, which is also a great game. The ongoing RPG and the single player RPG of the yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair. I think it's fair because playing an MMORPG is not something you can jump into. In fact, I've been you in the literally last area do it right now. <laughs> What's that? I was saying it's something you can't do as in you literally cannot do it right now. <laughs> exactly. But I have been to the last area of Endwalker and seen like sprouts. Now sprouts are new players and they have little sprouts mm. above their heads. That's why you call them sprouts. And I'm like, what are you doing here? It took me two years to reach this, this place, like going through the story and everything. How did you do it? Did you skip the story? I don't recommend skipping the story, but it's yeah, I, I can understand why it's not exactly fair to rate an MMORPG as the best of the year. So I can give it to both Endwalker and Arise because I'm glad what Arise did for Tales. It's just a fun-ass game. That battle system is ridiculous. I think that if Endwalker is truly all that, I mean, it's just an acknowledgement of how overpoweringly influential Final Fantasy XIV has become Mm -hmm. as an MMORPG. It is truly the heir to World of Warcraft uh, for this particular decade, and I do think it deserves to that deserves to be acknowledged. I just mm-hmm. don't like MMORPGs. It's just a personal thing. No, that's no, fair. I, I respect the hell out of M. Walker. Incredible job um, with that entire series, and God knows it's an entire meme about how good in Final Fantasy fourteen is. So congratulations to N. Walker. It is the best RPG of 2021 for Axe of Blood God. But if you want a more traditional one, Tales of Arise. All right. All right. It's time for our random encounters. Here are a few random encounters right here. First of all, there was an indie direct and Sea of Stars looks great. I also reviewed Omori earlier this year. That's right. I enjoyed it in a depressing earthbound kind of way. Mm -hmm. I missed that entire. They just dropped that, didn't they? They're just like they really did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry did. for you guys because you have to cover that stuff, and that's that's supposed to just disrupt your day. But no, Amori looks really, really cool. Uh, it's like very Earthbound, very Yume Nikki, uh, like a lot of cool influences. I know that it's been kind of a popular cult hit uh, amongst certain communities and all that. Maybe not to the scale of something like Undertale, but definitely has a following that loves it. So. I think a switchboard just makes a lot of sense for that game. The thing that I like about Omori is that there are a lot of subtle choices to be made that impact how things go, including the Hikimori playthrough, which is incredibly depressing. Mm -hmm. So it's a unique RPG, and it's well done, uh, and the art's outstanding. And Sea of Stars just looks outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I like the messenger a lot. Sea of Stars looks like mixtures of Chrono Trigger and Grandia and a bunch of other stuff of that era with beautiful what was, art. What was the Tokyo RPG Factory game that came out years ago? I can't remember what it was. Uh, it's not, uh, not Setsuna, is it? 
I am Setsuna. This is what we wanted I am Setsuna to be all hey, okay. along. Okay, I can get on board with that. Yeah, I was like, don't say this looks like I am Setsuna. No, this, this looks is what like we a wanted it to game. be. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they had I am Setsuna, and I forgot the name of the other two, unfortunately. It's like Lost Sphere or something. Lost Sphere, that's right. That one okay. looked kind of cool. It was all right. Sorry. I reviewed Setsuna. They were getting I did not like better it. as they go along. I If they could improve their visual style and make it a little more exciting, it probably has some okay get a little more attention the final fantasy 7 remake is out on pc y'all nadia's not going to be playing it but oh no it's a mess oh it says that it's 60 frames per second but it actually isn't has frame rate issues and other problems the digital foundry was totally dunking on it Mm -hmm. alas does this happen a lot with square's pc ports i feel like it happens a lot with their pc ports but then again 15 was great Near had some problems for a long time. Near, Near, had a Near lot Automata, problems, yeah. huge problems. Which, yeah. granted, that was like platinum too. But that's, I think, they've just had ups and downs depending on whether they're creating the games for said platforms at the time or right. bringing them over later. And the speed at which this port turned around was definitely very strange. Where we went from, oh, there's a Final Fantasy VII PC port, which everyone could probably guess was going to show up eventually, but it's out next week. <laughs> it's yeah. out on the 16th. Let's go. Like, very strange to me. Sword of Vermilion is on Sega Genesis on the Switch. It's a bad game. You don't need to play it. I was wondering about that because I saw that and I said, hmm, was that a good one? I don't remember if, bother, no. if I should bother playing it. Okay. But it was rather famous because one of the screenshots from a boss fight was in that Nintendon't ad. Wasn't sort of a million. I just remember there was an incident with titties, and I don't remember if that was censored or not. Maybe it was another Genesis RPG. I don't know. I just remember there was some Genesis RPG where there were someone forgot to censor the bathhouse or, or something like that. I killed Eric. Sorry, everyone. Again, we used to be a great industry, <laughs> and then the titties came. This is not a place of honor. Only titties. The System Shock remake is next year. Go listen to our Pantheon episode of System Shock 2. The indie RPG Edge of Eternity is also headed to consoles. That's one also has music from Yasunori Mitsuda. And it was actually like pretty cool looking. I mean, Mm. it kind of, it looked very much like an indie RPG, but, Mm -hmm. you know, impressive 3D graphics. I was ways. looking at the meta score for that. It's, you mm. know, it was a good seven out of ten game by the sounds of it. Might be worth trying out. Mm. Sea of Stars. Um, that was also the, was that also Mitsuda's yeah. music? And it's he got was some that, that's right. And he said America. actually outright, I want to make music for this. And the team was just like, oh. so that's pretty I mean, cool. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I would be. I'd probably die. Yeah. The and finally, a Persona Three remaster is rumored to be in development again. There's actually been a lot of Persona rumors lately because it's 25th anniversary. There was a thing where people purportedly found evidence of Persona 4 Golden coming to Switch as part of a Midnight Channel pack, that kind of thing. So it's interesting times. Um, I, of course, would love to be able to play Persona 3 again. If they were to remake anything, it would be that one. So I think Atlas is champing at the bit so hard to get as much as they can on the Switch. And probably PC, too, because Golden mm-hmm. did really well on the PC. And so they have this whole uh, market opened up to them. And they just want they just want mainline Persona games on the Switch so bad you could taste it. And I think it will happen. All I'm, all I'm wondering is if they do remaster or remake this in some way, 
do they go the portable route? Do they go the FES route? And what do they carry over from each? Because I think there's always been the argument about which version of Persona 3 you should play because obviously the FES one has more content, but the Persona 3 portable has kind of a smoothed out uh, walking around social sim aspect and also has female MC. Uh, So you can date all those boys. And I would love to see something that bridges the gap between the two, you know, maybe keep a 3d world, but having the, the female MC option in there would be excellent. So hear me out. Female MC where I can also date the girls. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, please. Thank you. Just flip the switch. Just flip. Yeah. <laughs> flip yeah. the switch, please. Please. All right. And let's wrap up everybody with what we have been playing. Nadia, you've been playing Endwalker, Endwalker. haven't you? I've been playing Endwalker, but I've also been playing a little bit of, uh, what's it? Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. Yeah. Which is that kind of roguelike puzzle game. And, that was interesting because that is a hard ass game. Mm-hmm. Like when they start you off on the default, it is hard. And you can toggle a lot of things to make it a bit easier. Even on the quote unquote easiest setting, it's still pretty difficult. And one of the programmers actually answered my tweet about that saying, like, we put in a lot of options for people to just kind of toggle around and see what they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. By all means, like, don't feel bad about doing whatever you need to, whatever you want. Because when you toggle the game to your liking, it's a very charming little roguelike sort of match three. And I'm glad to see it getting a little bit of attention at the end of the year. Yeah, it's really cool how it right from the start says you kind of have two ways that you can play this game. You can play the the one life run similar to, you know, your Slay the Spires and things like that, where you are going to progress through. And it's actually more rogue than most games are, because while you're unlocking things that you can pick up in the runs, you're not really getting any constant run over run progression that will make you like have better stats to start you will get other knights that you can play as i think the knights are pretty cool so far but uh i like that for people who don't necessarily want that maybe want something a little bit slower or want to tune it a little bit to be more to their liking they have that option for the infinite stock and and the they call it puzzle mode i think versus roguelike mode yeah roguelike mode has the stock puzzle mode has the no stock also when you're standing still, enemies mm-hmm. will move, but you can turn it off so that they you only turn move that when off, you move. Yeah. yeah. And that's and really, really helpful. It's it's nice to see that level of options because I remember we were talking about this on Twitter that you were saying you wanted to play the slower, more lenient version. I wanted the super hard kick me in the teeth option. And <laughs> there you have it. It's cool that we're getting Hurt both experiences out of it. Oh, yeah. Because I see it as a game that I can just go in and get a good roguelike puzzle fix which there's not a ton of out there right now especially for this sort of game where you have falling blocks and matching and stuff like that it's a really interesting mechanical game uh but it's so easy and it's so cool to see how quickly you can turn that into oh now it's just a chill puzzle game that you can hang out and play and it's it's very very smart it's very well done lots of nice little touches and remixes of shovel knight songs and all that it's a nice little game it's a good game Mm -hmm. I, i recommend it well, I reviewed The Witcher season two. I didn't really have a lot of time to play video games. I was busy re- reviewing a TV show and moving and doing lots of other things. But you can go read my entire review of The Witcher season two over on IGN.com. 
I ended up giving it a 7 out of 10, which is a very IGN score, but I <laughs> Good old 7 out of 10. Was it better than the first? I've heard it is better than the first. Yeah, but... yeah, it's better. Yeah, it's, I think, ditching the anthology format where I was trying to adapt the various short stories and right. leaning directly into serialization now that it's moved into Blood of Elves has mm-hmm. helped it a lot. I, I don't like the Yennefer plot in this one. They have an entire kind of, I would I characterize it as a filler arc from an anime mm. in many ways where like they just invent a villain from whole cloth. Yennefer, Yennefer tries to become super Saiyan for about five episodes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they know what they're doing with the Yennefer. And also it's a show that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about. And then by the time I was done with it, I was like, yeah, I really shouldn't be thinking this hard about this show. Right. I still think Henry Cavill is makes that whole thing. If he oh, was gone, 100%. there'd be no show. You know, who's really good in this one though. Siri. Siri has mm-hmm. a great season. Oh, Really? Yeah. That's good to yeah. know. Yeah, because go listen to our recaps of the entire yeah. season one. Uh, if you haven't, if you're a $5 and above patron, we uh, we talk a lot about how Siri's storyline is just completely aimless for the entirety of that season. And season two, it's much better. Clicks really into place. Um, you know, Geralt and Siri have great chemistry. I think it's because Henry Cavill is on there. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yennefer, Yennefer Lesso, and then the world building is, is kind of out of all over the place, and they try to lean a lot more into the persecution of the elves, who are a stand-in for every persecuted minority ever. Uh, there's a scene, Nadia, that I think, um, as a Jewish woman, you would be like, really? <laughs> they, what is it with Jews and elves? I don't know why they keep going for this. This was also Dragon Age, and I mm. think Tolkien did it best with the dwarves. It's like... Mm. Not the not exactly the greatest representation, but I don't know. I like Tolkien because he actually told Hitler to f off on our behalf, and he's like, you know what? You're a good ally. You might not have like the best interpretation of of you know money hoarding dwarves being Jews, but I think you're cool. You pass. But elves, I don't know. We're not elf like people. Why do people keep doing that? They're not just Jewish folks. They're also no. They're standing for everyone. They're indigenous people. They're right. Roma. Yeah, they're everybody. Yeah, it's. It's kind of an easy catch all. I feel like it's also a game of like fantasy trope telephone where a lot of authors get inspired by other authors and then don't. Yeah, they're maybe not thinking critically about the things that have come before them and are just like, oh, yeah, elves that care. Those those groups are always moving around in caravans and living in the woods and very in touch with their roots. And they never like examine where those things came from in the first place. So, yeah, the thing that annoyed me about season two also is that it's a lot of setup for season three. Like, because they stretch Blood of Elves into two seasons, like, it's all set up. And the payoff is in season three. The big problem that gets resolved this season is the one that they make up for themselves. (laughs) So. (laughs) Well, I'm glad they solved it then. Good for them. Like, we solved the problem. You made that problem up. Yeah, but it was a problem that we solved. (laughs) Production. I'm I'm curious how long this adaptation sticks around you know is it going to survive the the guillotine of netflix sure and, and the season I, three so far so good uh i think they, I think cut they it already renewed it for they already renewed it for season three i'm i'm curious basically i'm curious to see if they ever actually catch up to not just the books but the games themselves mm, or decide right. to pivot into some of that stuff because doubtful i i like the books but the games have good stuff too and i'm sure there's a lot of people who would love to see certain parts of like witcher 3 adapted so Apparently, Lauren Hisrich, who is a showrunner, has a seven-year plan. Wow. 
Yeah. So best of luck. I have plenty of books to cover at this yeah, point, but yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time if you're gonna split book one into two parts. But mm-hmm. that's just me. Um, last point: I got to interview Henry Cavill. Oh, he's <laughs> oh, the lead here. Yeah, I got, no kidding. I got four minutes with him, yeah. and it was. Uh, I've never done a junket before for mm. a, a, a show. It was very strange. I was on Zoom at six in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're uh, he was in London time, so it's just like, well, adapt to uh, adapt to their time zone. That's so freelance. I had, to, I had to sit for ninety minutes waiting for my turn to be able to talk to him on Zoom, and then when I finally got into Zoom, it was really disorienting because he had a very nice backdrop. It looked like one of those documentaries, right, where you see an actor talking to you, except yeah. except he was talking to me. He was answering my questions, and so I was interacting. With the TV guy. <laughs> I was just like, that, ah. that would be very strange. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like they're doing, like you said, that junket live. That would be yeah. disorienting. I see where you're coming from. It would be like if I turned on my TV and all of a sudden, you know, the characters on the TV just said, hey, cat. Yeah, I'm talking to you, cat. I mean, I would pay good money for access for Henry Cavill to talk to me through the TV. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> Company wants to get on this technology. <laughs> I mean, they were like, all right, Kat, it's all you. And I was just like, uh, hi. hi. And he was like, he was like, hello. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, whoa, this you is so weird. Did you ask him about Warhammer? <laughs> no, our other reporter asked him about uh, Warhammer. Gotcha. Um, I asked him about his war stories and he related the story of how he tore his hamstring. Ow. Yeah. Oh my God. While he was making... Uh, season two and how it could have completely derailed his mm-hmm. career as an action star. I was just like, geez. Okay. Oof. Dang. I didn't expect that. That's uh that's rough. Yeah. He got really, uh, he got really, well, about as emotional as a posh British man can possibly get. So. <laughs> yeah. Let's go check that out. Go check out my reviews. I, I had a good time and I would like to uh, do this again. It was an interesting uh, kind of challenge. Um, we're almost out of time, but Eric, uh, what have you been playing? Yeah, I mean, I can barely I, I don't know how to follow that. So I'll keep it brief. <laughs> uh, I I don't remember if I mentioned this last week or this week because it's been all a haze from all the stuff that's been going on lately. But I finished Guardians of the Galaxy oh, and cool. uh, that was a good time. I think I understand why a lot of people like that game. I definitely had my issues with it, but I can also totally understand why it got nominated and won the writing game award. It's got moments in there that you don't expect a game like that to hit for. So uh, that that was a nice little surprise uh, from the folks over there. Uh, and then one of the games that Shadow dropped during the Nindies presentation called Dungeon Munchies. Uh, I've been poking away at that. And it's kind of a dungeon crawling, side scrolling action RPG that feels like it has some very significant Terraria influences. Uh, it's its main conceit is that you are like killing monsters and then using their body parts to cook things that you then eat and make yourself, you know, give yourself new abilities and things like that. Delicious. Uh, It's less of a cooking game than I think I wanted. And that's kind of my main takeaway from it right now is that it's really more of an action game that just kind of uses cooking as set dressing. But uh, it's also just good fun. So I'm poking at that, but I'm mostly just poking around on my switch, hitting stuff that I haven't gotten around to yet or uh, want to spend more time with I've, I've been playing some more loop hero again recently because i just you know with the switch port i remembered how good that game is and started playing it again 
and now I'm going, oh no, I'm going to have to shift my whole game of the year list because I think Loop Hero actually might be on it. So <laughs> it's, it's on mine. It's really yeah. Good. It's, uh, that game, I think it came out very early and so it got overshadowed a lot. But with the Switch port, I'm just sitting there playing it and I'm like, oh, this is this game's so good. Yeah. It's just so I gotta good. Play it on Switch. I'm going to download it when we're done here. It's wonderful. All right. That is the end of our episode for 2021, our 2021 RPG recap. We're going to take a little bit of a holiday now. Not really, though. We're actually going to jump in and record our 2022 RPG preview, which is going to go live on January 3rd. And we got to do our other recaps and else otherwise. But after that, we're going to take a little bit of vacation and you'll be able to listen to the Pantheon episode while we are away and Catch up on your backlog. I've I've seen a lot of people say, oh my God, I'm not nearly caught up with all of the high quality content that y'all have been putting out for Acts of the God. Also, stay tuned for all of our announcements regarding the changes to the Patreon that are coming up. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, which if you've been listening this long, I hope you do enjoy the show. Go ahead and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the podcatcher of your choice. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and Eric is at Cmoosi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. Support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloggotpod, where you'll get tons of additional content, and you'll keep this show going because our we the show would not be possible without the help of our generous backers. We sincerely appreciate it, and... Wow, uh, the end of a year, the end of the year for year one of the Axe of the Blood God Patreon. Axe of the Blood God is an independent RPG. Its podcast has been incredible, an incredible ride. I can't believe how fast this year has gone, and I simply cannot wait for mm-hmm. next year. But until then, for Nadia, Eric, and myself, thanks so much for listening, and happy adventuring.